0: And the best pens coverage, WXDX FM Pittsburgh and iHeart Radio Station.
1: Andrew McCutcheon talked to somebody from the Post Gazette, and he said the pirates should have done more and spent more and made more of the right moves when their window was open. This is being treated like some great revelation. Freeze said it, and it was like, gee, wow. Jay Hay said it, and it was like, gee, wow. And now again with Andrew McCutcheon. So I'm like, oh, really? They should have spent more and tried harder to win? Is that what you're saying? Really? Because I've been saying that for almost a decade. Whether it's Kutch, Freeze, or Jay Hay. I refuse to give these guys credit for, at long last, telling the truth. And the reality is, Cut should have said it when he was still on the team. Maybe it would have helped, probably not, but maybe. All these guys saying it now, what the frig good does that do? I hope the Giants suck, they might. They lost 98 games last year, that's 11 more than the Pirates. It would be funny to see Kutch go from bad to worse. Not because I dislike Kutch. I don't. I just think it'd be funny. So, let me see if I have this right. They should have spent more and tried harder to win while the window was open. Is that right? Wow. It's about time somebody said that, besides Madden, who has always said exactly that. Yo, you got to agree with me on this one. Freeze Harrison McCutcheon said nothing you didn't already know. But a big deal was made out of it like it'll get the hillbilly prince to feel shame and spend more and try to win. But he doesn't, and it won't, and he won't. Uh, I want to point out also, Kutch had zero home runs and zero RBI in eight playoff games with the Pirates. So perhaps he, too, could have done more while the Pirates' window was open. Uh, The Pirates still haven't signed a free agent. Still the only team in MLB to not sign a major league caliber free agent in the current offseason. Yikes. Yikes. Sick Again, brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. You know, today I actually wrote two monologues for Sick Again. The one you just heard and uh, one I decided to shelve in place of the one you just heard. But let me read the one I shelved because it's still very relevant. It's more philosophical, though. It makes you think. You don't want to think while Zeppelin's playing. You want to rock out. You want to say, yeah, what did Kutch really say we didn't know? Madden's right. Freeze. Hay, Kutch. F them all. When the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl, uh, one of their players said the Patriots don't have any fun. He called their culture fear-based. In other words, Rob Gronkowski doesn't like the Patriots culture. He might retire because he's not having enough fun. And of course, we all know how much fun these Steelers have. No rings, but they have a lot of fun. So the question is is pro sports supposed to be work? Or is it supposed to be super wonderful, crazy fun time? Or skippity do? And I am posing that truly as a question for you to answer, 412-333-WXDX, because the two viewpoints have never been more in contrast. I think the answer changes depending on what worked most recently. I also feel like there's a happy medium. Maybe the Patriots could relax a little bit more, and maybe the Steelers could focus a little bit more. Come to think of it, maybe the Philadelphia Eagles, your Super Bowl champions, maybe... The Eagles found that happy medium. Of course, if we leave it up to the millennials, everybody gets to win. Nobody gets hit. Nobody gets hurt. Heck, why bother even keeping score? And before you know it, we're playing touch football and tee ball, and we've lowered the hoop so everybody can dunk, but not too aggressively. Four one two three three three. Ninety-nine thirty-nine is the number to call. I mean, look at Gronk and all his shenanigans and the way he acts like a like a, a 14-year-old kid all the time. Who knew he wasn't having fun? I'd hate to see him if he ever felt like he was unshackled and able to have all the fun he wants. Let's go to Chris in Monroeville. Chris,
2: you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hey, double hey uh, if you were the GM, wouldn't you have brought up wrong and sent down Sherry just based on goal potential. Uh,
1: Sherry would have to pass through waivers, and and, uh, you might not lose him because I don't know if anybody would want to pluck his $3 million salary, but uh, Sherry is a proven NHL player, not playing well this season, hasn't proved much this year, but he has his name on the Stanley Cup twice. Now, let me ask you a question. Why are you sold on Sprong? I mean, I'm a fan of his potential, but what has he shown you? during his stints in the National Hockey League to indicate that he should be playing a regular shift on a Stanley Cup favorite right now? Just goal scoring potential was Yeah, you know, scary. the Penguins score a lot of goals. They don't need another guy who who scores goals. They, they just don't. I mean, what do you think? You tell me. Crosby, Malkin, Kessel, Gensel, Broussard, Hornquist, tang that just sounds like enough goals to me. What do you think?
3: I just think he's better than Sherry.
1: Okay, but doesn't that sound like enough goals? And also, uh, Sprong plays right wing. Sherry could play either wing, correct? Yeah. Okay, so the right wings currently are Rust, Kessel, Hornquist, and Rowney. Who would you take out of the lineup to play Sprong?
2: Oh, I'd say around here if I had to pick one.
1: Okay, then who kills the penalties and takes the right-handed face-offs?
2: Hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure Coach Saltman could find somebody
3: out. Yeah,
1: no, no. Actually, the part about right-handed face offs there's nobody. Okay. So, so if if I haven't accomplished my goal of making you feel like you know nothing about the game, gee whiz, I've let you down because that was certainly my intent. Let's go to our good friend. From Sluggo's Bar, the Hebrew hammer. Hammer, Yakshamash. Yakshamash. How are you,
2: Mark? Eh. Me too. Uh, more meh than eh. But anyhow, uh, you mentioned the Patriots and the fun. Uh, I think this is a generational thing for better or worse. I, I do too. Worse. But kids growing up now, and all the players now are like in their 21, 22, 23, 24. Uh, they have grown up being told everything should be fun. School is supposed to be fun. Work's not really supposed to be work. It should be kind of fun. So I just think it's like, uh, the old ideal of like some things are just tough and hard. Those kids never learn those. And, and some people would say, well, you're just old, get off my lawn type of guy. But no, I, I mean, again, I just think, kids grow up thinking everything should be fun well, well put, I mean, put, it, put it, put it, put it this way the same good put it this way
1: anybody who pursued my profession and tried to take the same path as me the constant on having fun would not make it like i did just wouldn't make it like i did it would be impossible
2: i agree there's a lot of avenues and fields
1: uh where that would be the case just but- about every one as a matter of fact and and you make a real good point about uh the the twenty one to twenty five year old crowd has been brought up expecting fun all the time, and you know who's very indicative of that in this time is Juju Smith Schuster, who literally expects to have fun every second of every day and is turning into a raving jackass because of it.
2: Well, and the thing is, is that like you might call him a raving jackass, and I agree with that too. But his generation just sees it as oh, he's just having fun. And eventually that will become the new norm, and where that takes us, I'm not sure. But, um, again, uh, kids grow up thinking, you know, work is supposed to be Kennywood Park. School is supposed to be Kennywood Park. Um, and, again, I don't know where that goes, but that is the case. And the Patriots are old school. And, again, they might be too much because it is only football, but that football is worth billions of dollars. Well, they that profited. Has... They profited
1: and succeeded by being old school. Now, let me offer you a happy medium. What if everybody could have fun, fun, fun till Daddy took the T-bird away?
2: Then we'd go surfing USA. That's your cue. Extra much
1: whammy. Let's go real quick to Kurt in the car. Kurt, you're on with Double M. Kurt, you're on the air. Kurt, you've annoyed me for the last time. Let's go to Marty in Castle Shannon. Marty, you're on the air. Hey, Mark, how you
2: doing, man? Good. Good, good, good. Just real quick, uh, I'm about your age, and I remember when I was playing football, my coach never once told me, hey, go out there and have fun. Now, I have a daughter. She just turned 17. She's played on three different teams for soccer, and every game before the game, it was like, Go out there and have
1: fun. I don't guess, you think? You know, and boy, I'm going to get heat for this. Don't you think it's different with girls, though? Don't you think it always has been? You know what? Uh, just from my experience, Mark. Because well, let me tell you, you of- because because I've never coached uh, women, but it, it's my experience from talking to people who have coached women. If you go blood and guts with them, you don't get anything out of them. That you have yeah. to. You have to have it approaching from a fun aspect to to maximize their performance
2: that's that's quite possible but this uh you know i remember that if that's
1: sexist i'm merely quoting pretty much every women's coach i've ever talked to
2: yeah i i don't see it as sexist sometimes you have to use uh you know different sort of motivational factors with people a different
1: bedside manner as it were 412-333-9939, 412-333-9939, the number to call. we got Chris on hold. Chris, do please stay on hold. And we got Josh showing to talk hockey at the bottom of the hour. I'm Mark Madden,
2: 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden.
1: Mark, you struck my last nerve. You say that like you think I would remotely
2: give a dunk. But do go on. The X at
1: 105.9. Kind of a mixed bag for college basketball in Pittsburgh last night. Uh... Pitt basketball got five players on the ACC all-academic team, but they stink at basketball. Pitt lost at Notre Dame last night. They finish up the ACC regular season at 0-18. 18 up and 18 down. Yikes. Uh, Duquesne won last night. They finished 8-10 and in the Atlantic 10. Maybe Duquesne can make some noise in their conference tournament because, you know, Pitt won't. Well, Pitt will make noise. It'll just be a death rattle. And actually, the biggest news in local college basketball is Robert Morris beat Mont St. Mary's in the quarterfinals of the NEC tournament last night. That's a number two seed over, excuse me, a number seven seed. A seven beating a number two. Maddie McConnell, one of those McConnells. 18 points and nine rebounds. Those friggin' McConnells are everywhere. Susie, Kathy, Timbo, TJ, Matty. Uh, never bet against McConnell. When I hear McConnell had a big game and a big win, I add par for the course. That's what they're supposed to do. Let's go to Dalton and East Brady. Dalton, you're on with the super genius.
2: Hey, Mark. Uh, I just want to comment on the millennial thing. Uh, I'm 23, but I'm from a small town. I think it's a little different if you still live in a small town. Uh, we were always taught, you know, everything's work there's nothing in life's easy and ain't nobody else gonna get out there and make money for and you it. you
1: know what dalton that's why trump won that's and i'm not i'm not saying that's good or bad but trump won because people who live in cities tend to think the same values apply everywhere and you're right they don't let's go to uh, chris and shady side chris you're on with mark
2: hey mark yep what's up what's up man
1: Okay, good call, Chris. We'll try it again sometime. Let's go to Sean in the car. Sean, you're on with Double M.
2: Hey, what's up, Mark? What up? I agree with that uh, previous caller. I'm 21, whole life. I'm from a small town, whole life. Played sports, went through life. You know, you work your ass off. That's what you know. You get out of it. You get put uh, what you out, whatever. But um, do you think that uh, it's more that... Millennials themselves, or do you think it's more like the generation before them that raised them? Who do you think's more to blame? And my last question I
1: just think people in general suck, and I think everybody's to blame. You know I what? think I think America, the American public, the general population, is as soft as baby excrement.
2: I couldn't agree more. I have one last question though. Think you can hook me up with some free Metallica tickets?
1: No. Absolutely not.
2: Now I was
1: taught the fear of Jesus in the small town. Another boring romantic, that's me. Let's go to Dave and Fox Chapel. Dave, you're on with Double M.
2: Hey, Mark. I can't believe I'm saying this, but the more the season goes along, I think the Capitals are going to the Metro and we're we'll going to to play the Flyers in the first round. Uh, you think then I mean, I don't know if Sullivan has any experience against the Flyers in a playoff series. Uh, <laughs> parents, yeah, he's won so the like,
1: last two Stanley Cups. They'll no, no, have no I idea get, what to do against the Flyers in the no, playoff no, no, series. I'm not,
2: yeah, I get you. I'm not saying that. But do you, like, see them, like, going back into their old ways against the Flyers? Like, do you, do you I don't think the Flyers are all? that
1: tough anymore. I'm sure something will happen. Like, Claude Giroux will try to come out and take a run at Sid exactly. like he did in 2012. But, uh... I would be scared to death before a series against the Flyers simply because you have to walk around with it if you lose it, but the Penguins wouldn't lose it. The Penguins would slaughter the Flyers.
2: Uh, Yeah, I would hope so.
1: Don't hope. No. Up next, more Hockey Talk with Josh Yoey. Uh, By the way, this pit situation, people talking about what to do with Kevin Stallings, the coach, I guess you got to fire him, but I keep saying, I keep telling you, you won't listen. Firing stallings won't help. That program is in trouble for the next, boy, if not decade, the best part of it. Who's going to want to play basketball at Pitt? For that matter, who's going to want to coach basketball at Pitt? The big money boosters with their UG goes ran Jamie Dixon off. They wouldn't leave well enough alone. They set the bar higher, and the ceiling caved in. And if if you're tired of me saying it, I'm tired of having to say it. Whether it's for basketball, football, Pitt doesn't understand its level. It needs to stay in its lane. That's where most of the unfortunate problems have, have, have occurred, because Pitt won't stay in its lane. Wani was good enough. Dixon was good enough. Period. Up next, Josh one hundred
3: 105.9. This is Chad Riedel of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 DX.
1: Joining me now from TheAthletic.com, he covers the Penguins. He's in Boston. I'm joined by Josh Zoe. Uh Josh, who would win a series if they played right now, Pittsburgh or Tampa Bay?
3: Wow. What a question. Um, I would probably favor the Penguins simply because I'm not quite as sold on Tampa as everyone else, but I think they're clearly the two best teams on paper in the Eastern Conference. Um, I would only pick the Penguins, Mark, because they are just so comfortable playing against Tampa. Uh, Tampa plays into the Penguins' style. Uh, They love to skate. Uh, That's what Tampa does. Um, I just don't think Tampa does anything that would intimidate the Penguins in the least. Uh, That said, it, it would be a wonderful series, and I could certainly see it going either way. Well, I would pick
1: Pittsburgh as well, and one reason is I'm not as sold on the value of Ryan McDonough in particular against the Penguins. I think getting McDonough helps against both team, most teams, but Pittsburgh usually did very well against uh, McDonough
3: when he was a New York Ranger. No, that's a really great point, and that was one of my first thoughts when that trade went down, Mark. I, I like McDonough. He's a good player. He's a legitimate top-four defenseman, obviously, maybe a top-two defenseman, but he is the classic case of an athlete who gets overhyped and oversold because he plays in New York, or played in New York in his case. Um, if Brian McDonough played for the Ottawa Senators, he would just be another good defenseman. So he is a good player, and I don't blame Tampa for being aggressive. And, and I think maybe the bigger part of that was getting J.T. Miller. Uh, that really helps uh is a good player who's now going to be surrounded by a higher caliber of forward than what he had in New York, and I'm curious to see how he does with Tampa. But, yeah, McDonough does not really scare the Penguins, I don't think. I've never sensed that. He certainly has been on the ice for enough goals against them the last couple of years against the Penguins. So while he is a very good player, I don't know that he makes that much of a difference in that 1st first- series between those two teams.
1: Tampa has Stamkos and Kucherov. Pittsburgh has Malkin, Sid, and Kessel. Pittsburgh has more and Pittsburgh has better. Uh, I know Tampa's leading the league in goals per game this year, but I think head to head Pittsburgh still has more weaponry.
3: No, they do, and remember, as good as Tampa has been, that they get to take advantage of playing against a lot of really bad teams in that division as well. So they have extra games against really you know, the Detroits and, and Montreals and all the teams that are really struggling in that division, whereas the Penguins don't really have the luxury playing any bad teams in the Metropolitan Division because, frankly, there aren't any. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Tampa has star power. There's no question that Kucherov is having a great season. You know, Stamkos, Mark, and and as great as Stamkos is, I don't know that he's quite the same player that he's been after the injuries that he's sustained the last couple of years. He only has, I think, 24 goals, which, you know, is a nice number, but this is a guy who has scored 50 or 60 goals in the past, so I don't think he's quite the explosive player he once was, and and yeah, as much star power Have uh, The Penguins still have Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel on three different lines, and they're all playing really well. Uh, No team in the National Hockey League can match that. Are the Penguins a
1: three-line team now? Is the fourth line just a place to store penalty killers?
3: Pretty much. (laughs) I think that's the way it's become. And, And I know that concerns people because the last two seasons, especially because of the presence of Matt Cullen, that that fourth line could always score goals. And uh, you're not going to see that as much. If you have Carter Rowney and Tom Kubelko in the lineup, it's not going to be a real productive fourth line. But and the fact is, they don't have many guys in the top nine who do kill penalties. Uh, Carl Hagelin does a lot, Brian Russ can, but in general they have a lot of guys who just don't do it. So you need to put those guys somewhere and... As long as the top three lines are scoring, it doesn't really matter. I don't think this is a situation like in you know eleven and twelve and thirteen when you had guys like Craig Adams and Joe Vitale who who just couldn't score at all. I, I don't think it's going to be you know to that degree. But yeah, it's a bit of a three line team now. But God, those are three really good lines, Mark.
1: What are the differences between Cole and Hunwick, and can Hunwick be what the Penguins need him to be?
3: Well, I mean, Cole is better in the defensive zone. He's a better penalty killer. He certainly, I think, is a more willing shot blocker on the penalty kill. He's a more physical presence. I just think he's a better defensive player. Uh, Hunwick, I think, is probably a better skater. Maybe he does help them more in the offensive zone. He scored a real pretty goal the other night against the Devils. But you also, also saw Hunwick absolutely lost on one goal. I think it was a Taylor Hall goal, and he was just standing behind the goaltender. It didn't look like he knew where to go. And there have been three or four times in the last week, Mark, where he has been woefully out of position uh, on a goal against. This hasn't just happened once. Um, it's been an issue for him. He just has never looked comfortable to me in a Penguins uniform, and that pairing of, of Alexiak and Hunwick has really struggled the last three games, and that's noteworthy because the pairing of Alexiak and Cole was very good for about a month. Um, man, those guys were lights out together, and you've seen Alexiac's level of play drop a little bit the last couple of games, and I don't know if that's because of Cole's departure or not, but it certainly makes you wonder. Do you expect Chad Ruido to get a couple games soon? I, I do, and I think he should. The guy's barely played all season, and for all we know, Mark, uh, Ruido and Alexiak might be a better pairing than Humlick and Alexiak. I, I think that's certainly in play at <laughs> Um, I think Ruedel's. A it very would entail good
1: Alexiak switching sides. Obviously,
3: it, it would. It, you know, the left side would be his natural side, so I assume he'll be comfortable there. Although he is one of those rare guys who is very comfortable on his offside, but uh, I'm kind of curious to see Ruedel get a game or two to see how he looks. Um, you know, he's kind of a luxury as a number seven defenseman. He's a very good number seven defenseman. I I don't think he hurts you if he's your number six. Although maybe he's uh, best suited to be the number seven. I don't know. But I'm curious to see how the dynamic changes when he gets a look. And I have to think you know, either someone's going to get hurt or Mike Sullivan's going to get this guy into the lineup. You can't have him go much longer without seeing any action. That's not good for anyone.
1: We're talking to Josh Owey of com. He's brought to you by Orthopedic Institute at Monongahela Valley Hospital. Uh, what should we expect from Broussard? Because uh, playing behind Sid and Gino, I'm not sure he's going to produce quite as much.
3: Well, no, he's not going to. <laughs> power play either, so that doesn't help the numbers. And, and, you know, Phil Kessel's a different kind of guy to play with. Um, so it's going to take, for a little bit of time. I think you saw against the Devils, they didn't look real comfortable together. and <laughs> They won't be dynamite together in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's very possible that they will, but uh, it's going to take him a little bit of time to get comfortable, and it's tough. You know, one thing about uh, this time of year when guys get traded, uh, teams don't practice much this time of year. Uh, they're trying to preserve the legs. So it's hard. You almost have to learn on the fly in games with players. Uh, Broussard, you know, I don't think he should be judged by the numbers he puts up necessarily. Uh, The way Crosby and especially Malkin are going right now, it's just as important for Broussard to be a good two-way center, to take care of his own zone, things of that nature. And he is very good defensively. He's not just an offensive player. So from that standpoint, I think he's a perfect fit as the third-line center. But does that mean he's going to put up crazy numbers? Not necessarily, but that doesn't mean he's doing anything wrong if
2: he doesn't.
1: Is Connor Sherry in danger of losing his spot? How much is on the line for Sherry right now? I think he definitely got a break when Zach Aston Reese went down injured.
3: Yeah, boy, I agree with you, Mark. Um, well, listen, he's gone 41 games now and he has four goals. Uh, that's a huge problem because it's not like Connor Sherry's been playing on the fourth line. A lot of kids have been with Sidney Crosby. And he's almost exclusively been in the top nine, and four goals in forty-one games for you know the hottest team in hockey, the team that's scoring a ton of goals. It's a huge red flag, and and you can see that it's in his head now. At this point, he had a couple of really good looks the other night, and
2: he fanned on shots.
3: Um, he's just struggling, and he's always been a streaky player, Mark. And we've seen it last year in the playoffs. My God, he couldn't do anything right. He was finally benched. And had an unbelievable game in Game 7 against the Senators. He might have been the best player on the ice. He's just one of those guys. Uh, very streaky, so he's due for a hot streak, which is great. And the thing about him, Mark, he's only ever produced when he's on Sidney Crosby's line. So do you put him there because you know he'll produce there? Or do you just not put him in the top nine at all? I think those are probably your two options.
1: Uh, are the Penguins devoid of grit now? Have they maybe gone too far in one direction, Josh?
3: I think it's a concern, I, I, I do, when you look at last season's team. Think about just the gritty, the, the, the reliable, defensive-minded players that were on that team last year. Guys like Bonino, Cullen, Kunitz, Hainsey. uh those guys are all gone. Um, that's a lot of guys to lose in a 12 month span. There are a couple of others. Too. Um, are they more about style than they are substance? I don't know if that's fair to say. But I certainly think it is more of an offensive-minded team. And that's okay. Um, maybe that can work. But, you know, in the playoffs, you're not going to win games seven to six. That just doesn't happen. You have to be able to win those those tight games. I don't know that the Penguins are built to do so quite as much, and especially with the loss of Cole. Um, I know Ian Cole's not a great player, but he's a good player. And he is the kind of guy you don't really want to trade right before the playoffs. He's the kind of guy who's going to help you in the playoffs. So you think about all those guys that they've lost, and, yeah, they're really good. There's no question they're one of the favorites to win the Cup, but I don't think it's a perfect roster either.
1: Uh, right now the Penguins would play the Flyers in the first round. I think Philadelphia in the Metro Division is the easiest possible opponent for Pittsburgh except the emotion of the rivalry – could knock things askew, as in 2012. What would a series between those two teams be like?
3: Yeah, you know, I think the Penguins match up really well against the Flyers. They handled them quite easily in Philadelphia in early January, in fact. Uh, They play next week in Philly, and boy, would that be interesting. I I give the Flyers credit. They're playing really well. Um, Claude Giroux is having a real bounce-back season. They can score. That's the one thing about the Flyers. They've got that good power play. They can really score. I don't think they can slow the Penguins down, however. And I know what happened in 2012 when things just got absolutely insane in that series. But the Flyers are a little different now. Um, They're not going to try to goon it up and drive the Penguins crazy the way they did back then. And and, and more to the point, the Penguins are a little different, too. Um, They're not going to lose their cool like they did back then. A totally different team and a different coach now. But um, I I do think that's the best matchup for the Penguins. And, you know, the Devils obviously... Mark, the Devils have given the Penguins fits this season, and, and I know everyone assumes the Penguins will beat the Capitals, and I would pick them to beat the Capitals, but let's not act like those series the last two years were routes because they were anything but. Uh, tonight at Boston's not going to be easy, is it?
1: The Penguins have lost two in a row. Boston's a very good team, but no Bergeron, and he might be
3: out for a while. Yeah, he's out a couple of weeks at least with a fractured foot, and uh, I cannot emphasize enough how big of a deal that is. If you ask Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, who the most underappreciated player in hockey in the last 10 years has been, they will tell you Patrice Bergeron without hesitation. Uh, this guy is a great, great player, the best defensive forward of his time, and he also has 27 goals this year, so that's all you need to know about him. But uh the Bruins are very good. Uh, they have certainly adopted something of a youth movement. They're a much faster team than they once were. And uh, To me, they're an example of, you know, league teams look at the Penguins and say, gosh, they just out-skate everyone. So they've gone out and they've got guys who can skate. Uh, They have a nice blend of uh, veterans and and young kids who can apply. And uh, I did not expect this from the Bruins this season. But, boy, they have really emerged, I think, as a legitimate contender. And it looks like they're going to play Toronto in the first round. and that could be just an unbelievable series. Are you
1: surprised Casey DeSmith is getting his second start in a row? Because he leaked in a couple bad goals against New Jersey on Tuesday.
3: He did, although I thought he made some really good saves, too. It was one of those games I thought the Penguins were pretty loose defensively in front of him, but I didn't like a couple of the goals. I think Mike Sullivan's trying to figure out who his backup goaltender will be when the playoffs start, and it's always kind of been assumed that it'll be Tristan Jari. He still might be uh, the leader in the clubhouse in that regard. But you know what, Mark? Uh, the numbers don't lie. Casey the Smith's numbers have been better than Jari at the NHL level this season and at the AHL level this season. And Tristan Jari has been pulled from two of his previous six starts at the NHL level. So I don't think that makes Tristan a lock to be uh, the guy who plays behind Matt Murray. And uh, to answer your question, I'm a little surprised to see Smith again. But uh, I, I think Sullivan really wants to see what he has in him. Josh, great stuff. Enjoy the game. We'll do it again next week. All right, Mark, see you Saturday.
1: That's Josh Schoey brought to you by Orthopedic Institute at Monongahela Valley Hospital. ESPN is in deep doo-doo regarding their reporting, or should I say lack of reporting, or horrible reporting in the Sean Miller case. Sportsillustrated.com has come up with some facts, and the story really beats ESPN's story because, well, as opposed to ESPN's story, Sports Illustrated has facts. We'll update you on that in a moment on
2: 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden.
1: Ah, super genius. What were you afraid more of, Satan or teabagging? Sorry, teabagging.
2: Great story, compelling, and rich. DX at
1: 105.9. Okay, here's the update from Sports Illustrated on the Sean Miller store in Arizona. Miller said today he didn't do it. Didn't pay $100,000 to war uh, star recruit DeAndre Ayton to Arizona. And Sports Illustrated says that relevant wiretaps in the investigation did not begin until 2017, months after five-star recruit DeAndre Ayton had already committed to Arizona in September 2016. So ESPN is in deep doo-doo. And it looks like the phone call, the tape of Miller is fictional. Maybe somebody else's voice. And Sean Miller might have a nailed-on defamation suit. I'm joined now by Bob McLaughlin. Boy, Bob, that took a nasty turn for ESPN. And i got to tell you, I think it's exemplary of the decline in ESPN's work we've seen over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, wouldn't doubt that, Mark. Um A, glad to see that Sean is most likely going to get out of this and will stay with University of Arizona. Uh, B, somebody at ESPN screwed up royally, whether it's just believing, you know, all this stuff is sealed. So it had to be an attorney or somebody who was present in the courtroom when it was all put out there that heard it. Maybe somebody got a name wrong. Maybe somebody got a time or a date wrong. Um, maybe they got it all wrong. Maybe they got it all wrong. Although hundred thousand dollars, if you hear that on a phone call, hundred thousand dollars pretty much sticks, you know, in your mind. They may have gotten that's that true. back straight. And don't you think Aiton's worth a hundred grand? He's he's pretty good. Um, but Sean Miller, it looks like he's going to come out of this. And I was just reading. Well, the
1: Sports Illustrated story, I believe, guarantees Miller will survive this in Arizona.
0: Yeah, that's what it looks like. I was just reading some of the other stuff uh, deeper into that story. Um, and the one thing about the defamation or the uh, you know slander, or whatever you want to put. They said that in this article, unless the party knowingly meant to harm Miller or the University of Arizona for some reason, and if they can prove that, then he's got a defamation. If they were just erroneous in their reporting, or there was misinformation, they said it's really tough to prove that in a court of law. But either way, Sean Miller comes out of this looking you know clean.
1: Bob, what was your response to Andrew McCutcheon saying the Pirates should have spent more done more and tried more during their window between 2013 and 15. I, I, I'm amused by the reaction, like McCutcheon said anything of significance. All he did was finally say the truth, in at a time when it doesn't help. If he would have said it while he was still on the Pirates, I don't know if it does some good, probably not, but at least the potential would have been there. But people are acting like like McCutcheon, Freeze, and Harrison came down off the mountaintop with tablets. <laughs>
0: Well, I have the same reaction as you did, and a lot of Pirate fans, I'm sure, because if he would have said that at any point, and look, I I know everybody here knows that Kutch loved it here in Pittsburgh. He married a Pittsburgh girl. He named his kid Steel, for God's sake. Uh, And when all the trade talks started to really blossom and get out there, he seemed to dial that up a little bit about how much he liked it here. But at some point, knowing as everybody did what the pirates were doing for him to say that or question it, and he didn't have to come out you know both barrels and damn them a hundred percent, all he had to do was ask a couple of you know pretty smart questions as to what their scheme was or what they were doing to improve the ball club on the field, well, and people it, would have picked up on that and it, it's way too late yeah, way too late
1: and yeah. like now it just doesn't matter, and i can't believe the reaction like that this is front page news it's just not front page news, not from Kutch, not from the other two guys it's just Something that we all knew, but you know what? It's front page news, Bob. A lot of the media stooges ignored it before.
0: And because it's Kutch. I mean, for a lot of people, because Kutch is saying that now uh, when he never could in the past, never wanted to in the past, even though he knew it. Those guys all, everybody in that clubhouse knew it, especially the last few years, that that was the Pirates M.O. That's the way their front office was going to operate. You know, he had to put on the uniform every day and show up and, you know, sign autographs and clap hands and... You know, maybe he just wanted to wait until it was all over, till he could finally purge. Purge five. <laughs> McCutcheon talks. That's Bob McLaughlin, brought to you by 84
1: Lumber. In just 30 seconds, I'll take a look at one of the Penguins' opponents tonight that is not exactly flattering. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9.